Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be ever pleasing in your sight. You are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Not a stone will be left on stone, replies Jesus. This great building destroyed, wars, rumors of wars, nation against nation, earthquakes, famines. This is Jesus' longest sermon in Mark's gospel. He speaks to the twelve, letting the inner circle in on a somber, apocalyptic secret. The temple appearing so eternal, shall end. Well, we're at the end, the end of the church's year, the end of the calendar year. Frost and dry stubble along the roadside, summer green become russet. And Jesus talks cataclysmic ending. God is going to bring it all down. Contrary what you may have been led to believe, when Jesus goes apocalyptic and talks of the end, he's not predicting the future. He's speaking of the precariousness of the present. This temple, this world is not as stable, eternal as it appears. Now, we mainline, educated, modern, critical Christians get nervous when Jesus talks apocalyptic. We prefer Jesus as a great moral teacher, example of compassion for the poor, or someone who gives us a spiritual boost. None of that here in Jesus' last will and testament. Jesus, before you leave, give give us some words of wisdom. Jesus replies, God is going to kill everyone here. All this, for any of its present glory, is ending stone ripped from stone, all reduced to rubble. Sounds like a Johnny Cash song. Shiva is not only Hinduism's beneficent creator, but also disruptive destroyer. But I kill and I make alive. It's not a verse from the Upanishads. It's a boast by the one whom Jews and Christians worship. Ever heard a sermon on that text? The singer-songwriter Jason Isbell has a lyric that I think unpacks this passage well. The chorus of the song goes, You thought God was an architect, but now you know. He's something like a pipe bomb ready to blow. And everything you built that's all for show goes up in flames, in 24 frames. In my end is my beginning, says the poet. God, we thought you were an architect, helping us build a future for ourselves, making progress bit by bit, becoming safer, healthier, and happier. But you're a pipe bomb ready to blow, bringing it all down to dust and ash? God, I know you are the blesser of my beginnings, but you are my end as well. Not only my alpha, but my omega. Who is this God of mysterious and strange power? 
This is the God the songwriters and mystics speak of. This is the God Annie Dillard writes about in her great book, Teaching a Stone to Talk. On the whole, I do not find Christians, she writes, outside of the catacombs, sufficiently sensible of conditions. Does anyone have the foggiest idea what sort of power we so blithely invoke? Or, as I suspect, does no one believe a word of it? The churches are children playing on the floor with their chemistry sets, mixing up a batch of TNT to kill a Sunday morning. It's madness to wear straw hats and velvet hats to church. We should all be wearing crash helmets. Ushers should issue life preservers and signal flares. They should lash us to our pews. For the sleeping God may awake someday and take offense, or the waking God may draw us out to where we can never return. It's in the presence of this God that we experience our own precariousness and the precariousness of our lives. Am I being too negative? In our gospel, Jesus concludes his apocalypse of cataclysmic destruction by saying these things are just the beginning of the sufferings associated with the end, or more literally, this is but the beginning of the birth pangs. Can it be that what we call death is, at the hands of God, birth? That's what a living God can do, make the end the beginning. Is today's apocalyptic gospel good news or bad? That may be dependent on where you are when you get the news. I remember talking to a pastor friend of mine who serves a Presbyterian congregation on the United States and Mexico border. I reached out to him recently and I was reminded of a conversation that we had had about a Bible study that he was leading between Mexicans and his congregation and a handful of adults from America on a mission trip. Everyone was talking about their favorite Bible verses. The Americans went first, highlighting theirs. John 3.16, God so loved the world. Another chimed up with Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Another, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, Philippians 4.13. The room got quiet until one of the elderly Mexican gentlemen said, I like Mark 13. It brings me so much comfort. What in the world? These adults didn't know what to say. My buddy explained to them afterwards that this man lost two children to malnutrition. And his third was trying to make it in the States, and he had no clue of his whereabouts. This man wasn't looking for God to do a little cos cosmetic cleanup on the world. He was looking for death and resurrection, and he found it in Mark 13. One of the reasons this gospel is difficult for a mind like my own is because if I had to be honest, I don't necessarily see the, see the world, the need for the world to be destroyed and remade. I just don't see the need. Alas, my biggest anxiety this past week was gaining the assurance that we would have pecan pie on Thanksgiving. <laughs> and I hear this gospel, God's going to, God's going to d dismantle all this. God didn't create the present order. 
God has no stake in the preservation of your vaunted status quo. I hear this as terrible news. But for this man, who was miles from the status quo, maybe even suffered because of it, this ending and recreating was consolation. I asked a pastor who works in a homeless ministry how she has persevered in this shoestring and thankless ministry for over two decades. She waved her hand over the desolation of of downtown and explained, I know a secret. All this is transient. With a living God, anything we build, including the evil we construct, is all temporary, transient, dying in order to be reborn. And my end is my beginning. Jesus lets us in on a secret in this passage. The world is torn apart, the veil and the temple is ripped by God so that a new world might be made available by God. The end of your marriage, the diagnosis, your depression, aging parents. By God's grace, these endings may be birth pangs, an offer of a new world. It all depends on a God whose eternal love is our only hope. One last story to help illustrate this passage. One of the only sermons I remember from my childhood, I was eight or nine years old, and we had a guest preacher, um, a big African-American man who taught at the local divinity school, Dr. Robert Smith. It's a story I've told before. Dr. Smith told us uh, about losing his first wife in his mid-40s. She got really sick all of a sudden and began to deteriorate very rapidly. And Dr. Smith told us about sitting by her bedside on the fourth floor of the hospital, holding her hand during her final weeks. His eyes were in tears as he was relaying the story, as he was speaking of his life that was unraveling. He shared much of the grief with us. But then the story changed key, and he told us about getting remarried. But what shocked us all was that his now wife was a nurse at the hospital where his first wife died. Dr. Smith told us that she worked on the fifth floor of the very same hospital. And what he said next, I'll never forget. While my life was falling apart on the fourth floor, God was rebuilding things on the fifth. I wonder if Mark 13 is just as much consolation as it is desolation. If God is a pipe bomb ready to blow, then it's only because he's creating something for us, birthing new life on the fifth floor of our lives, better than anything we could ever imagine. Taking our endings, transforming them into his beginnings. Amen.